Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. Welcome to our service today. We are in the fourth Sunday of Advent. I hope you've liked Advent as much as I do. And what we do for Advent is we suspend what we normally do, which is go through the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We were in the Gospel of Matthew, and we'll pick that up in the, in the new year. But for the four la last four weeks, we were able to focus on on different themes, uh, the different themes typically associated with Advent. We had hope, and then we followed that with love, joy, and then peace. Our, my sermon today is on peace. Uh, it's entitled, Jesus, Jesus Our Peace. And our scripture today is from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 14 through 18, which you're, you're probably going to be pretty, uh, pretty familiar with that, that verse. So if, you, if you've joined us with the last, uh, last four weeks, we took a deep dive in each one of these. Um, I, I like going through history. Uh, the first week was great because the first week was a, a living hope. And it gave me the opportunity to pull up some of uh, my, favorite, uh, my, my favorite prophets of old, Ezekiel and Daniel. Remember we told you the story of why the people of Israel had hope. Why did they have hope? Well, they knew that there was a promise of a Messiah. There's a promise of Messiah, but the, that promise had gone back literally thousands of years. And why were they hopeful at that time? Well, because they knew the prophecy of the prophet Daniel. Daniel had interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Nebuchadnezzar had seen this dream. In fact, he gave him what the dream was, remember? And this, this dream was this large statue, and it had a head of gold and arms of silver and a belly of brass and then legs of iron. And Daniel explained to him that it was starting with him, the king of Babylon, the head of gold. It would be successive kingdoms until finally the kingdom of God would come and establish rule on the earth. So they were looking for these successive kingdoms. And they'd already gone, they'd saw, they saw Medes and the Persians come in and unseat Nebuchadnezzar and the rest of his people in Babylon. And then the Greeks came in. In fact, by the time of Jesus, they all spoke Greek there. Everything was Greek because the Greeks had been in charge of, of Rome, of Palestine for, for 300 years. But the Romans were now in. This was the fourth kingdom. And they knew that despite the oppression that the Romans brought, that also brought an end to these four kingdoms, that soon the Messiah would come. And the Messiah would be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So they were looking forward to it. That was that, was the, that, was that first week. Now the second week, our focus for Advent was on the love of the Father. I love that. We talked a little bit about 1 John 3. We talked about the good, good father, the, the father that, that seeks the lost, raises the dead, welcomes the prodigal son, forgives the sinner. <clears throat> this is the father that sent his son who gives sight to the, to the blind and promises his children they'll, they'll be with him forever. What a wonderful hope. That's the hope that's contained in Jesus. We talked about the missionary couple. Remember we had, we had Sergei and his wife, Victoria, and the three kids talking about, as missionaries, how they take the love of Jesus into their, to their own country and establish churches and teach people about Jesus. It's been going on for 2,000 years, isn't it? Don't you love missionaries that do that? Last week we had fun because we talked about the joy of the Lord. We talked about how the announcement of the angels brought joy. And remember we said that joy is not just happiness, it's an inner joy. And truly, the joy that comes from the Lord, remember I gave you a definition. 
Remember the definition? We said that joy, the joy of the Lord was actually the revelation of the purposes and the presence of God. The revelation of the purposes and the presence of God. And if you think about joy, and you think about the things that truly bring you joy, they're likely associated with the purposes and the presence of God. Because that's the joy that nobody can take away from you. Regardless of your circumstances, regardless if you're here and you're in the hospital, or regardless of what happens if you have a death in the family, nobody can take your joy because that joy is from the, from the Lord. And we know that all true joy comes from the Lord. So today, our focus is on peace. And it's not just any peace. I could have called, I could have called it the peace of Christ. I could have called it the peace that, that brings happiness or whatever. But I called it Jesus, our peace. Because this peace has a name. And that name is actually Jesus. One of the best messianic prophecies in the Bible we read earlier, book of Isaiah, but it, but it bears reminding again because it has this idea of the peace. It says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Thelma read that for us earlier. You know, while Jesus is the Prince of Peace, we mistakenly sometimes think that the peace that he brings or the peace that it speaks about is simply the absence of aggression or the absence of war. You know, so the history of the world is full of aggression and war, cities against cities and countries against countries and nations against nations. And we've seen that in our, in our lifetime. There's always wars and aggression going on. But actually, this peace is beyond that. Um, it means that as well. But at the same time, the peace that Jesus brings is more of an internal peace. And it's actually between man and God, man and God. So as I mentioned earlier, my, my, my sermon is the peace of Christ. I'm sorry, the Jesus our peace. Our scripture today is out of the book of Ephesians. But I'm going to add uh, verse 13. I started in, as verse 14 in your bulletin. But 13, you'll see why I had to add it. It was just so good. It says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near, for through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. To the Father. So we're going to do what we normally do. We're going to take this one verse at a time because there's, there's so much there. We've got to slow down, just like we do for Advent. We slow down at Advent to be able to appreciate Christmas. We slow down the scripture to be able to appreciate all that it says to us. Paul says something very, very key. It's, he says, but now... But now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the, the blood of Christ. By saying but now, he means that there's something that has, has changed. It, it was different before, but now it's, there's something new. And that something new is all about 
Jesus Christ. The context here, the context here of the great apostle Paul, he's writing to the church at Ephesus. We talked about Ephesus a little bit when we were going through the Acts of the Apostles. We said that Ephesus was a very major city. There was a major church there as well. It's one of the churches that's mentioned in the book of Revelation. It's one of the seven churches. But it was a major city in the Roman Empire. And it was a Greek city. And they had Greek gods, okay, Greek gods. And they had Dinah, and the Greek goddess Diana. Um, the Roman name for that god was Artemis. And remember when Paul was in, was, was in Ephesus, there was a riot because he was teaching about this new god, this new god, uh, and Jesus Christ. And the people said that he's, he's, he's destroying our, our silver works because nobody's buying silver anymore that we're making for the goddess Diana, okay? And they're yelling through the story, great is goddess Diana, great is the goddess Diana. This was Ephesus. And the people in Ephesus were far off. They were far, far separated from God. You see, there they were, they were people that were... That, that knew the Jewish people, but the only way for them to be closer to God was to convert to Judaism, to convert to Judaism. And quite frankly, a lot of the Jews weren't really anxious about having a lot of people convert to Judaism. They liked having God kind of to themselves. So these, these people in Ephesus were, were far off. But, God, but, but Paul tells us something important. He tells us what happened and how it happened. Paul says, but now, but now, Things have changed. In Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near. That's, that's what happened. And then he says how it happened. Paul says it was accomplished through the blood of, of Jesus Christ. Paul tells them what's changed and he tells them how it's changed. Jesus died for the sins of all men. It wasn't going to be through the law. It wasn't going to be through sacrifices. It wasn't going to be about being, bringing lambs to the slaughter. It wasn't about doing those types of things. It was about what Jesus had already accomplished. One of the biggest differences of Christianity versus any other religion. Christianity is really not a religion. It's really a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But one of the ways you can think of it is that all other religions, all other religions are about what you need to do. What do you need to do to have peace with God, their God, whatever God that is? But Christianity is different because Christianity is all about what he has already done. Because of what he's done, we now have peace with God. This is what Paul's referring to. He specifically tells us how. It was brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's go on. It says this. He says, for, verse 14, he says, For he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. This, you see, the scripture says that this peace has a name. This, this, pay, this peace is actually Jesus. Now, we know the name of peace, right? Uh, the, it's shalom. Shalom in the Hebrew, right? This whole idea of, of peace. And we know that peace, uh, the idea of shalom is used as a greeting, like the Hawaiians, right? Aloha. They use it as a greeting uh, to say hello. They use it as a greeting to say goodbye, and we translate it as peace, but it's, it's so much more than peace. If you, if you understood Hebrew, I wish I understood Hebrew better than I do, but if you understood Hebrew, it's, it's so much more because it has to do with, with wellness. It has to do with, with wholeness. A person that is at, is at peace. The scripture tells us again that Jesus is our, is, our, is our peace. You know, when Paul mentions this middle wall of separation, this middle wall of separation, we can think of this middle wall of separation as being, as being symbolic, right? Symbolic. Uh, some of you are aware that 
Uh, for years, we talked about the glass ceiling, a glass ceiling for women. Women couldn't go, could only go up so high. Well, that wasn't a physical glass ceiling, right? It was, a, it, was a, it was a symbolic glass ceiling, meaning that women could only move up so high in the, in the, in the, in the ranks of corporations because it was a man's world. I got to tell you, my first two bosses, both at the university where I was a teacher, as well as at Ford Motor Company, were women. <laughs> they were women. And, and you know, the last president I served with, okay, down in Mexico, was a woman as well. So women seem to have done pretty well. But I understand it's a, a symbolic idea of the glass ceiling. Well, it is true that there was a wall of separation between us and God that was kind of symbolic, but there was also a physical wall. I showed you this last, last year, but it was so good I had to do it again. So in, in uh, the, the temple of Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD. Now what happened is in the 19th century, they were excavating where the temple was, and they uncovered this, 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 um, this piece of concrete, this piece of stone from the middle wall of separation, middle wall of separation. It was uh, excavations, and actually in, it was called in Greek the middle wall or a partition. And they, they excavated it and they took it to Constantinople. You could go to Constantinople, actually uh, Istanbul now, and uh, that's, that's where it is. It dates back to the time of Jesus, and there's a Greek inscription. You can read Greek, can't you? Uh, you can't? Okay. Here's, 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 the, here's the translation, what it, what it says in English. It says, no man of another nation may enter within the fence and enclosure around the temple, and whoever is caught will him, he have himself to blame as his death will ensue, okay? What that means is that in the temple area, okay, on the temple, temple mount, there was a, a court of the Gentiles. They could come out to the top and they could kind of fellowship a little bit over there and have some fun and have some prayers, maybe have a picnic lunch. But there was a wall of separation. And this, this sign was there, meaning that if you go past this, you Gentiles, if you go past this and try to get closer to the temple, to the Holy of Holies, if you try to get closer to God, you will be killed. You will be killed. That's the middle wall of separation. It was a very physical, physical thing. Um, but, but aren't you glad? that? See, Jesus, our peace, has done away with that. That wall's no longer there. That wall's no longer there between Jew and Gentile as well as between us and God. That wall's no longer there. It's because of the blood of Christ. This is why Paul says, he starts off by saying, but God. See, but God, something happened. Let's go on. Verse 15, it says, Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. Now, this is wording that you might be familiar with if you're a church person, right? If, if you've read the gospel, if you've read, the, if you've read through the New Testament and are familiar with Paul, you read this and say, okay, I, I know what he's talking about. Well, these are kind of archaic words. And even in our Bible study, you remember, Thelma, in our Bible study, every now and then we'd say, who has a message version, right? Who has an easy-to-read version? Because sometimes you read these things and it kind of goes right over your head. So I, I, I got a message version. I borrowed my wife's. And this is what it says. It says, he tore down the wall that we used to keep each other at a distance. He repealed the law code that had been so clogged with the fine print and the footnotes that it hindered more than it helped. Then he started over. 
Instead of continuing with two groups of people separated by centuries of animosity and suspicion, he created a new kind of human being, a fresh start for everybody. Christ brought us together through his death on the cross. See, it's okay sometimes to use an easier translation if it helps you understand what God's trying to communicate with you. Now, what's interesting is, is that, notice he says, the law had been clogged with fine print and footnotes. See, we understand that, right? I, I, I love it. You know, you, you buy a house or you, you, you sign something, and it's like 17 pages. Seven, nobody's going to read 17 pages, you know, and it's all full of fine print and stuff like that. But we sign it anyway, right? We sign it anyway because we want what it's supposedly providing for us. Well, that was the issue with the, with the law. Some, sometimes you don't realize what's in the law, but really all the law was doing was keeping us separated from God. You know, I remember very distinctly when I first became a, a believer, when I was born again. You know, I pulled over the side of the road and, and I said the sinner's prayer and I believed and it really changed my life. And as I started reading the Bible, I started realizing how sinful I actually had been. There were so many things in my life that I thought I was justified at doing. You know, I felt if somebody hurt me, I could hurt them, right? It's an eye and eye for a tooth for a tooth. I, I felt I was justified in keeping my anger. Uh, you know, I, I felt that, you know, some of the foul language I used was just being expressive, you know? And, but we, we read the Bible and we realize that all of those things are not what God wants for us. And all of us fall short. And all of us, actually, it says that the wages of sin is, is death. But Christ paid the price for the forgiveness of our sins. And as a result, we now have peace with God because it's Jesus who is our peace. That was the original one. Notice that Jesus accomplished all this. Jesus fulfilled the law. And notice it doesn't say that Jesus started the church. What he said is he took the two groups and out of the two groups, one became. One became Jews and Gentiles, believers and pagans. We came as, as one, one, one new group. You know, sometimes uh, living, living in the United States, sometimes we forget what it's like to have animosity one group to another. Now, I, I realize that if you turn on the news, and I don't recommend you do, if you turn on the news at night, they're going to be talking about you know, some hate crime or, or some group of people that are being discriminated against and stuff like that. But at the same, and, and God bless them, I understand that that still happens, but... Aren't you glad we live in the United States of America where we have a melting pot? We have multiple languages, multiple people, multiple nationalities all living together in harmony. As I mentioned before, you know, when I was working, a female was my first boss. We don't have the caste systems. We don't have that kind of discrimination here. There's still so many, uh, the equality of opportunity is still there for so many of us. But that's not true for much of the, much of the world. You know, it wasn't just the Jews. We know that the Jews hated, right, who? The Samaritans, right? They called them dogs. They hated the Samaritans. Jesus twice used parables about the Samaritans, used the Samaritans as an example in order to shame the Jews, okay, because they hated the Samaritans. His very first time that he ever, ever told anybody who he was was the woman at the well, which is a Samaritan woman. So Jesus was already crossing that divide, but the Jews hated the Samaritans. And it's okay because the Samaritans hated the Jews. You know, to the, to the, to the Jews, you were either a Jew or a Gentile, 
okay, was only two classes of people. And they weren't the only ones that did it. The Greeks did it as well. You know, the, to the Greeks, the Greeks th thought themselves as being so superior. So you were either a Greek or a barbarian. A barbarian, right? You're either a Greek or a, a barbarian. This is done almost in every nationality, almost every culture, even China. I found out that the word China, supposedly in ancient Middle Chinese language, actually means the middle people, meaning that they were close to the middle of the earth and everybody else was strangers. Everybody else was outside of China, were not Chinese, so it was like us and them. And, and, and many, many organizations and many people did that. Um, People hate each other, but Jesus is, uh, is our peace. And the early church, the early church exemplified this in, in such, a, such a, a great way. Here's a, here's a, little, a little history for you. Uh, the early Christians didn't think of themselves as Jews or Gentiles. They, they considered themselves actually a, a third race. And I got this from an organization called Seedbed, which is an organization that provides little cliff notes like this to pastors to make us sound smart. Uh, but basically it says this, it said, the Greco-Roman culture with its gods and goddesses was the first race. The Jewish people with their one God was the second race. The Christians who had a, a one God yet spoke of more than one divine person who did not belong to any single region, territory, language, or culture, they were the, the third race. Now, it wasn't so much how they called themselves, it's how they acted. Because for the Christian, especially in the early centuries, the first and second century, it was no longer Jew and Gentile. It was no longer slave and free, rich or poor, male and female. They were, they were one. And it got worse because the Christians believed that so much that they started doing everything together. They started having meals together. They started greeting each other with a holy kiss. They started working together. They raised their children together. They took care of each other. Heavens, they actually started marrying each other, okay, and burying each other. Remember one of the hallmarks, one of the cornerstones of the early church was that they would cross the racial divide and cross the death divide by caring for the sick and the dying. Our modern hospice movement comes out of the understanding of how the Christians took care of the sick and the dying. During the Black, pa Black Plague, everybody got out of town. Black Plague would come in and people would run for their life. The people that were left behind died and died in the streets and nobody was there to bury them, but the Christians stayed behind and the Christians took care of them. Our, our modern funerals, our modern understanding of an undertaker and our funeral services come from that. Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, there is no longer Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. That's Colossians chapter 3. Here's another piece of history. You like history? You like it? I love history. For the first 200 years, the Christians typically address each other by their first names. First names. Brother Ken, Brother Saul, Brother Barnabas, Sister Margaret. And you know why that was? I'm glad you asked. The working classes, the working classes, their last names were often trade names. Trade names. So, for example, our, our words today in English like Miller, Tanner, Smith, and Cooper all come from trades. Flower grinders, leather tanners, metal smiths, and barrel makers, which were called coopers. So the middle classes, the working classes, their last name was often associated with their, with their trade. Not true for the aristocrats. The aristocrats had partisan names. Uh, these were names that the kings often had. 
Antonia, Cornelia, yeah. Juliana, Horsha. Okay, those were the last names of the, the rich and the, the famous. Christians decided that they weren't going to use the last names. They were going to use the first names because the last names kind of separated them into classes. So they, they called them each other by their first names, often with brother or sister. In fact, what the article said is that the reason we call our first names our Christian name is, comes from that tradition. Our Christian name is the name that Christians call each other by their first names. Isn't that cool? Yes. I found that was really interesting. Here was a classless, raceless society where all social distinctions were erased. However, and nevertheless, it's true that most Christians came in from very humble backgrounds. It was often the slaves, it was often the working class, the underclass, the underbelly of the pagan world that came to, to Christ. But in their minds, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, rich and poor no longer existed. They were all part of the same family because exactly what Paul had said, that there was no longer two, but one. And Christ was our peace. He had made peace between the two. Paul closes the section with these words. He says, and he, that's Jesus, came and preached peace to you who were far off and those who were near. For through him we both have access to one spirit, to the Father. You know, we talked about the Hebrew word shalom a little bit. The, the Greek word is very similar. It's erene. Erene is the Greek word. And, and it means a lot the same. It's, it's very similar to the word shalom. It means just more than the absence of aggression or absence of war. It has to do with wholeness. In fact, uh, the word is actually a compound word, ariot, which is to join or bind together. So if you take two things and you put them together, the Greek word there is to areo them, to bind them together. That's where this word of peace comes from. It literally pictures the binding or joining together again of that which had been separated or divided. Uh, a meaning conveying by the common expression we use today. Oh, by the way, if somebody's at peace today, what do we say? We say they have it all together. Is that something? They have it all. We have it all together. That's the idea, the meaning of, meaning of peace. Now, it, feel, it follows that peace is the opposite or division of dissension. Peace as a state of, of harmony, which actually, when you think about it, harmony is the opposite of war. So it, it does have that connotation of, of aggression. Uh, uh, peace was used as a greeting or farewell. That's why people would say peace unto you. In fact, some of you come from liturgical churches. We're halfway through the church service. You would stop for a minute and you would say the peace of Christ or peace be with you. That's a Christian tradition that goes all the way back to the very verse, verses and scriptures we read. Again, this corresponds with the Hebrew word shalom, which means wholeness or, or completeness. Uh, by the way, uh, Deuteronomy 25.15 uh, it talks about a stone used as a weight, and it uses the word shalom, meaning that it should be whole, not a piece, but a whole. Um, the same word is used in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 8. There's a time for war and a time for shalom, a time for shalom. So let's finish up. Jesus, our peace. Jesus spoke of this in his prayer in John 17. You probably know the prayer. This is actually the Lord's Prayer. We think of the Lord's Prayer as the, as the Our Father, you know, but actually the, the prayer that Jesus prayed in, in John 17 is how the Lord prayed. And this is what he prayed. He says, my prayer, this is the Lord's Prayer, is not for them alone. He would, before this, he was pr uh, praying for the apostles and the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. 
that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are. You see, Jesus is praying that just as he is one with the Father, we have that same kind of oneness between us. You know, we think of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as, as one God. Jesus wants us to think of ourselves as, as one people. One people, that, that close. John 17, 23 is the next verse. John 17, 23 says, I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Jesus, our peace. This is exactly what Jesus is, is praying for. Not only would we have peace with God, but we would also have peace with each other. That's the thing that makes us whole. And notice John 17, 23. This, by the way, is our key verse for our, our ministry, Faith Dialogue. We started, my wife and I started Faith Dialogue six, seven years ago, and we started it based on this verse, 17, 23. I and them and you and me, that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. You see, the early... The early Greeks and the early Romans, when they saw the Christians getting together and crossing these, these lines that separated people, rich from poor and slave from free and male from female, when they saw that they had everything in common, that they loved each other, it indicated to them that there was something special about them. And that's what Jesus is saying. Then they will know that you have sent me. You know, this has always been the heart of our ministry. I tell people that here at, at, uh, at the Windsor, we are Celebrate Seniors, which is just another name. It's just a, a part of Faith Dialogue. We call it Celebrate Seniors because it makes more sense since we're in a senior residential facility. But the heart of our ministry has always been non-denominational. And it's not non-denominational because we know some of you are Presbyterian and some of you are Catholic and some of you are, are, are Methodist and, and Pentecostal. I'm looking at some of you and Baptist. I mean, I know some of you in the areas you come from. Um, and, and the idea is we don't call ourselves non-denominational because you are different denominations. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org. 